0: This episode may contain language or discussions that may be offensive or triggering. Refer to the episode summary for details. And welcome to the She Confidential podcast. My name is Charlene Ketchum, and today I'm chatting with Dr. Nikki. She is a pack credentialed licensed psychologist and sex self-confidence coach. Y'all, I kept tripping over that pack credentialed um, part, (laughs) but I learned something new about that and what that actually stands for. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but I want to let you know that today, Dr. Nikki and I are going to be focusing on how Black women can overcome the internalized misogyny that might be blocking them from claiming their sexual uh, sexual identity. Before we launch into that, let's talk about what the PSYPAC credential means.
1: Sure. So thank you so much, Charlene, for having me. I'm so excited to be in this space and have this conversation. Um, and thank you for the opportunity for education. So pack credential means... The, as a licensed psychologist, I have access to do virtual sessions. Um, you might hear people refer to it as telehealth
0: okay. therapy
1: across state lines, right? So my license is in the state of Texas. So I can see folks face to face, obviously, in the state of Texas. But with this PsyPAC, I can see folks in about 24 other states across the country, including Georgia. North Carolina, the entire DMZ, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Illinois. I'm trying to hit the highlights where I know they're big black population.
0: Yes. Yes. Think, yeah, Missouri. And I'm gonna make sure I include that list because I know you've got it on your site. Yes. So I'll I include do. that list in the description so that people know all the states where you're you have that licensure and they can work with you.
1: Yes. Thank you for that.
0: You're welcome. I just I love the expansion to access to services, particularly as it relates to black clinicians and mental health professionals, because we know y'all are in short supply and high demand and just, so is there, what's the status on that? Because I know you mentioned that you have, it's available in 24 states. So is that expanding? Mm-hmm. And so it's that- going, yeah. It, so it goes state by state. So a couple things.
1: One, I think it's kind of ridiculous that we don't have this sort of reciprocity across states like mm-hmm. other professionals. That's a whole different podcast and conversation. Mm-hmm. And then just for clarification, this is only for people licensed as psychologists, right? So if you're LCFW, LMFT, LPC, licensed mental health mm-hmm. clinician, there's there's nothing that exists currently okay. that does that. So, um, and then PsyPAC is going state by state. So they actually have to enter these agreements with the particular states. And so it makes sense that you don't see California on the list, New York on the list, um, Florida. And there's another big state that I'm blinking out on. And and I think it's in part to sort of keep down competition. Yeah. And this is one of those things where, right, like inclusivity Mm -hmm. and equity is a different conversation. So sure, there might not be at all um, a dearth of therapists for white folks in California or New York but yeah. trust me there's a dearth of black mental health professionals yeah. in those spaces I get requests all the time for people in California or New York or somebody saying I got a friend in California who can you recommend and it's just there's not a lot of black clinicians right um right to go around and that's a problem. You know, we, we I think, as black clinicians, clinicians have been doing a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, therapy for black girls has been a game changer, right, for talking yeah. about therapy and normalizing therapy for us. And then folks are trying to find somebody and it's like, um, I don't see anybody that looks like me. Yeah, I, I don't see anybody that I feel like I can show up and be my full self in therapy. And that matters so very much
0: it really it really 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 does and and just and even beyond when we're talking about ethnicity or race you know when we start talking about gender and just because i've discovered not every therapist has that comfort or that ability to just be able to even offer that support and insight like cultural competence competency is a really big thing and that
1: listen i um <laughs> i was an academic for 17 years of my career.
0: Oh, oh, you, oh, you,
1: you, have you written a book on it? Cause you could. <laughs> <laughs> this is the question I get so often and I'm listening universe. I am, I'm listening. Um, I have so many things I want to talk about and, and and that is part of it. So I trained. And so because of my, my passion for therapy, right? Yeah, I taught classes like um, basic counseling and therapy skills, called pre-practicum or practicum when you're out when students are out seeing folks uh, for the first time and um, group therapy theories of therapy i would teach these classes and trust and believe this idea around cultural competence does not come naturally (laughs) that therapists have a lot of biases and they show up in the therapeutic space as well and they have to be intentional Mm -hmm. and active about working to to continue to inform themselves and check their own worldviews, and unfortunately, it just really doesn't happen. I think in in the level uh, proportionate to the amount of folks that need the service. So
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, it it doesn't. That's I mean it's, and especially around when we start talking about things related to Black women, because there is so much that's been taboo for us to even talk about amongst ourselves much less go and talk to a therapist even though these you you all are professionals you still have this fear of judgment I remember the very Mm -hmm. first time I went to go see a therapist and it was after my dad had passed away and I was so embarrassed because Mm -hmm. I was having panic attacks at the time and I didn't Mm -hmm. really know what they were it was just like these crying spells and stuff and then Mm -hmm. I would wake up in the middle of the night having all these different things and I was really embarrassed and, I was, and for, cause I'd never gone through anything like that before. And I was right. like, I don't want to go see this, this di-. And I saw a psychiatrist and I was like, I don't want them to think that I need to be put on medicine and, you know, or that I can't control my feelings or that I'm just this dramatic person or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't even tell her about the panic attacks until mm-hmm. a few sessions in, because I didn't want her to think something was like really, really wrong with me. Yeah and, yeah and so you have that fear
1: it's real I, and I always um always like support and, and celebrate my clients when they show up in their authenticity and their vulnerability and for clarification my clients are all all black um so mm-hmm. I work pre- predominantly mm-hmm. with black women mm-hmm. a couple black men and then couples and and that's not one hundred percent. I have a I have a couple mixed race couples, but typically black women are people who come to me because they know that's what I do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I know what that's like, right. I know Mm -hmm. how difficult it is to be vulnerable, even in the space when you've decided to create space Mm -hmm. for yourself to get help, but being able to say it out loud and actually look at it. And then so much, of our experience as black women is the rest of the world looking in looking at us from the outside judging and and the reality is Mm -hmm. the judgments are always never enough either too much or never enough right there's never Mm -hmm. a a really safe space for us to be our full human complicated selves and so Mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense that even in a therapeutic space you come with that level of Um, shame or worry or discomfort with vulnerability because that has been your experience in any of every other place so when when i know that they're sharing things with me that they may have never shared with other people um i take that place as being very sacred like that's an honor for me and and um it serves as a reinforcement for me that i am Working and operating in my purpose, um, yes, and that that always just is so affirming for, for me in ways that I can never fully articulate. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
0: wow that's and that's a lovely thing for you to acknowledge, you know, that that recognition that people are being brave with you mm. being bra- like sharing parts of themselves they've never shared before. And yes. overcoming so many of those limits and mindsets and barriers because we as black folks we grew up being told what happens in this house stays in this house. Mm-hmm. And some of the most painful things that happen to you, you you are trained, conditioned not yes. to talk about. Yep.
1: Especially exactly. with outsiders. Exactly. And and you're you're sort of socialized not just explicitly in those messages, but implicitly, right? How yes. you observe other people in yes. your family, community yes. moving. Yes says a lot too. I mean, mm-hmm. we most of our messages yeah. um are a mix of explicit, direct and implicit sort of indirect messages. Yeah. And the crazy part is especially with regard to like uh sex positivity and, and sexual shame. Sometimes the messages are mixed. You saying one thing but doing another. So which one am I wh- wh- which one is right? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah. That creates a lot of confusion. Yeah, Uh, for for people in general, but certainly for women, Um, and and I work I work a lot with high achieving Black women, Mm -hmm. which most Black women are high achieving. Let me just—if you're listening, you're like, I don't know if that's me. It is. It is. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Um, And what happens oftentimes I Mm -hmm. see repeated over and over again is all of these other parts of yourself that needed to be seen in the world um, as as holding up the community being resilient being quote unquote successful they are very not necessarily unimportant but they tend to be external and sometimes superficial things right did you go did you get good grades in school did you do well in college do you have an advanced degree are you killing it in your profession are you yeah. do you have a side hustle are you starting your own business um, are you a good wife? Are you a yeah. good mom? Like all of these roles and labels, mm-hmm. and then attending to yourself—like what do I need? Mean? Where? What do I want? What brings me pleasure? Mm-hmm. That's that's never a part of mm-hmm. the socialization process, and so you get all of this esteem and reward and fulfillment in these other areas, and then there's this other part of yourself that has never been nurtured never even been given consideration and you're like, well, I've been able to achieve X, Y, Z, A, B, and C. This should be easy, right? And that the internal work is Mm -hmm. never as easy. And I'm speaking from not just the the psychologist side, but I'm Mm -hmm. also a client, right? So I have a black woman psychologist that Mm -hmm. I see. Um, And even in doing my own work, I'm like, there it is again. I'm doing it to myself again. Like it's an ongoing process because there's so much reinforcement to not do the internal work. So much reinforcement to keep keep up the status quo. Um, And a lot of us end up walking around sort of really disconnected from ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and a lot of times carrying a lot of pain and shame and self doubt and feelings of unworthiness but on the outside, you would never know it. Rocking it.
0: Looking good. Looking Lashes, good. Lashes, brows, Got your Louis Vuitton bag. <laughs> you know, you you've literally secured the bag. Literally and figuratively. Yes.
1: And inside, you're like, I wish I had a soft space to land. Yeah. I wish somebody would pick up some of this slack for me. Yeah. I wish I knew what I really wanted. I wish I could... Yeah. Ask for
0: what I really want. Yes, yeah. That's so. that's, and that's why on this podcast we talk about everything. Like the focus for She Confidential is on all of the components of wellness and personal development. Mm-hmm. And as you know that that ranges from everything from environmental considerations to physical, mental, emotional, sexual. Everything, your social aspects related to your friendships and your intimate partnerships, your family, mm-hmm. all those things in your career and your finances, all those things matter. But as yes. black women, a lot of times we have to compartmentalize so much of ourselves. So it's mm-hmm. like I'm, I have to show up as the mom or I have to show up as the high achieving you know, child that's first person to go to college. And so I can't mess up. I got to do yep. everything, quote unquote, right you know, whether it's what the church is telling you is right or what your grandma is telling you is right. You know, you're mm-hmm. trying to defy these statistics that you that they hurl at us. You know, you're trying to overcome all these generational curses. And when mm-hmm. you're so fixated on proving the haters wrong and living up to everybody else's dream, you yes. don't get to connect with your own. You're neglecting all these other parts of yourselves. Because Absolutely. I know for me, for many years, I would professionally rocking it out but the better I did professionally the worse I was doing the more I was neglecting myself physically and emotionally and mentally and even getting disconnected from just having fun like just just doing fun just being silly just doing silly shit sometimes you know who like celebrates that like you once you get conditioned to be good or be perfect or be Mm -hmm. you know on your A game all the time it's hard to turn that switch off It is extremely (laughs) difficult because it's not just the conditioning.
1: It's a, it's a, what I call it's a reflexive process. There's the conditioning Mm -hmm. that then changes your internal standard that then gets rewarded externally. So you want to be rewarded. That's human nature. It's human nature to want to be rewarded. It's human nature to want to be celebrated. And so Mm -hmm. the more that happens, the more you do that thing and then you get better at it. And so it just happens more and more. So this whole other part of yourself are parts, really. Um, yeah. But but I really love the connection you were making just now about just having fun, which is why I talk about, yes, I'm a sex therapist and sex self-confidence coach. And I always talk about joy and pleasure. I put them together yes. because the greater your capacity to build your own um, standard, your repertoire of things that bring you joy and pleasure, the greater that you have access to having more sexual pleasure. Sex is one of the buckets, right? But yes. what I want is for Black women to feel fully empowered that things that bring them joy and pleasure are they are worthy of just because. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. It's not a reward. Mm-hmm. It is just because. Because it's part of your experience as being a full and complete human, just like everybody else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And how, so how do we shift from that mindset? I mean, first we have to acknowledge like, where's the sources of those shame? So yes. in, you your, from your background as an academic and then as a, a clinician, where mm-hmm. are a lot of those sources of shame even coming from?
1: Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally song. everywhere, <laughs> uh, everywhere. <laughs> and so let's first acknowledge that, you know, collectively in, we live in a sex negative culture. In the United States, we we even though sex is everywhere, it's um, only allowed to be um, s- a promoted or acceptable in certain sort of containers, right? Yeah. And so that tells a message from early on about who is allowed to have sex and when, and what are the conditions. And yeah. we sort of have that's what we teach, but then we also have these. Um, Lots of ways that we reinforce that. And so what the research shows is in the early part of our lives, our parents and family um, and community pri- have primary um, influence on our ideas about ourselves as sexual beings. And also related to that, our primary sources of messages around sexual shame. And then we have religion. And then as you also get older in life, the media and then your peers also reinforce mm. that. So, when I say everywhere, I mean <laughs> it's literally everywhere, right? And so, it's like the parents get everything started, your, your family and community reinforce that. The church says this is what you do, and then as you get older, you have those voices take a back seat, but they have had foundational impact, right? right. And then your peers. And then your, the media that we consume, and media is TV, film, um, music, lyrics, the social media, um, yeah. all of those things serve to reinforce that over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, so, which is why I like this, this conversation about alpha males and all these alpha male podcasts and high value <laughs> men and high value women <laughs> is so effing toxic. Because it's the all it is is regurgitating shame. Mm-hmm. It just has some new words on it, mm-hmm. but all it is doing is saying over and over again, "Hey, woman, your body needs to look a certain way, yes. and it only needs to be accessible to me. And you also need to have all of these material, objective things, but not too much, because you have to make me feel better, mm-hmm. and then forget how you feel about yourself. It's about your your sole um, goal in life should be to please me, right?" It just heaps on the shame, 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 shame.
0: Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, before you and I started recording, also a friend and I were talking earlier just about men and how they complain. Some men. um, Some men complain about their dislike of body shapers and, and makeup and, you know, extensions. And they're like, why can't women just be themselves? that's the same thing too much or not
1: enough you got too much shape too much eyelash too much hair extensions too much i like a woman with stretch marks and her natural skin and her natural hair well good for you but what about what that woman likes Yeah. yeah what about that or we're all trying to have meet a certain body standard right have all this internalized negativity about our bodies because media and our families have also told us to be desirable to Mm -hmm. a man you need to be in this body you need to be this size you need to have this shape and -hmm. the craziest part about the black community is you can't be too skinny but you also can't be too big
0: Woo! yeah
1: it's all it's it's constant it's a lot pushing pushing,
0: (laughs) pushing yes yes it's a lot. It's a it's lot. A lot. <laughs> you know, I, I said to somebody not too long ago, I said, what I have realized is that the only thing that I can do is live in with within my body in a way that's most comfortable for me. That's and it. my priority is to have a body that allows me to enjoy my life to the max. So that's not about a particular number on the scale, but it is about me having the health and mobility that allows me to live my fulfilled life to the max. And so that's going to look different at different seasons in my life, and that's going to look different Mm -hmm. for every person. But what that also means is that I'm not setting a standard based on somebody else's desires or preferences. I'm going to be me, and then I'll attract who vibes with me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just, but let
1: me ask you do you think you could have gotten, do you think you could have uh, been in the world with that mindset at age 20?
0: Oh my God, no. So, what's so crazy is when I was 20, so I'm 41 now. When I was 20, I always, first of all, I always thought I was fat. Like, I literally always used to say to myself, like, oh, my God, I'm fat. I need to lose weight. I -hmm. remember even thinking of being conscious of what I was eating when I was 8 or 10. I've always kept a journal. And so Mm -hmm. when I look at my Mm -hmm. journal, and the more I grow and learn about the importance and significance of what we say to ourselves, I'm Mm -hmm. like, man, I actually talked negative to myself for a really long time. But, you know, back then, that's when they sold the diet pills, and they had the commercials Mm -hmm. on TV. So diet Mm -hmm. culture was, you know, really... Normalized, and you'd hear adults talking about it, and in the black community, it's still normalized.
1: Let me, let me it, talk, it is it's still normalized. <laughs> is. We just talk about it as eating clean, yeah, and thirty-day <laughs> vegan challenges, and keto, and intermittent fasting. But it's still diet culture.
0: It is. We just it's all diet it culture. The word, it's true. <laughs> yes. this, I mean, yeah, I never. I never liked my body and it's, and even when I started to develop and I've told, I've shared this on the show before, but it's relevant to this discussion. So even when I used to go back to school shopping, I developed a butt and hips early Mm-hmm. And so my mom, and she didn't mean any harm by it because this is just how she was conditioned and she was trying to keep me safe. But when we went back to school shopping, she, I would have to try everything on and we would go get stuff probably like in June or so and we put it up in layaway. And then I could okay. get it out in September when school started. So we'd go in June, I'd try all these things on, and she had to look and see if it was fitting me, if you could see my body. Mm-hmm. And if it did, okay, we got to get a bigger shirt to cover up your butt or go up a size. And so just the act of having to go try on clothes to see what would help hide me so that I didn't prompt a certain response, it really did condition me. Because at school, it was like this LL Cool J song about big old butts. And this boy, I won't say his name, but I've never forgotten it, plus it's in my diary, always Mm -hmm. sang that song and put my name in it. And it used Mm. to embarrass me so bad that I didn't play jump rope. Because he was like, oh, your butt's chilling. Now I can laugh about it. At the time, I didn't. It embarrassed me Mm -hmm. so bad. And I said that to a guy friend, even in high school, when people would say things like that. And he's like, well, that really bothered you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. Because I had always been like super conscious of my body. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you just want to be. You don't want to think about people looking at you and critiquing you in a sexual way. Because for one thing, I wasn't comfortable with that. And I wasn't even comfortable in my own body because I had always been taught that you don't want men looking at you because then bad things can happen. And it's your fault because you made it possible for them to see you. And so at 20, oh, I was still deep into that. Even though it's like I looked in, I'm like, my body was amazing and I ate ice cream all the time. Hey, my God, when I
1: think about the things I did in my 20s, <laughs> in undergrad and in my 20s, like going out and staying out and eating IHOP at four in the morning or eating Popeye's at three in the morning, and like it was nothing.
0: The metabolism. Maybe let not. me try
1: to do that today and see if won't I be up half the night. I couldn't even sleep, mm-hmm. right? No. Um. But I asked that question because what I find happens is we have been... That um, I'm going to always use weed, right? Because I'm a therapist and I have all of this um, knowledge and expertise because that's my responsibility to be a, a competent professional. But I do the work that I do with black women because I am intre- it, extremely interested um, in in investing in myself and my wellness. And then I have a daughter. And I'm always doing the work for us. And for other black women. And the reality is we download all of this information about who we're supposed to be in the world very early on. And we don't have the language really to understand it fully or to always critique it. And even if we do, given given the generation you grew up in. So I'm 47, right? There's no room to be arguing back.
0: There's oh, no wow. room
1: to have like critical conversation, um, and so you wake <laughs> up and you're 35 or you're 28 or you're 41, and you're like, wait, that I don't actually even feel that way. I don't. I don't really believe that. Yeah. Oh, I don't treat other people that way. So why am I still holding myself up to this standard? Yeah. But it we had to do the intentional work of undoing all the things that we have been do- told, right? And I always say, like, my my biggest um, desire as a mom is to have my daughter do as little undoing and unlearning in her 30s and 20s or whatever Mm -hmm. as possible. So um, last year sometime, um, my mom took her shopping for some clothes. And so my daughter was a preemie. She was a low birth weight preemie. And so for the first Seven years. Literally, it wasn't until the pandemic. The first seven years, she was just always underweight. Um, she just was thin, high metabolism. She started off small, and then she has a high metabolism. And so she just was itty-bitty. But baby, the, I don't know if it, I think it's the pre-pu- pre-puberty and all the things, but she hit her stride during the pandemic. Um, and so we went um, clothes shopping. She went clothes shopping. I let them go, have a, have a Nana and, and Girls' Day when she was nine. So this was a, about a year ago. And so when she, she got some jeggings and she was like trying to jump and put, put a oh, bone on yeah. <laughs> And my mom started making comments about her body. And my daughter, with all of the confidence that I have raised her to have, looked at her and said, Nana, I don't mean to be um, disrespectful, but I'm also wondering why you feel like talking about my body is up to you at all. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Nana was shut down, honey. Uh, <laughs> okay. Nana was like, uh, uh, Oh, oh well then. And she said uh, she said, um, and then my and then I like quoted the uh Beyonce, if you don't uh, jump to put jeans on, baby, you don't feel my pain, right? right? Like as a and she was like, That's right, mommy, I got a butt now, right? Yeah. Like we're not we not doing that. But I can only do that with my daughter because I have done my internal work on myself because yeah. I grew up listening to the same things from my mother and my aunt and my cousins, right? Yeah. And so I could see the harm that had on me. I've been working on it. It's a constant work in progress. Yeah. Right? Yes. To feel like in this body mm-hmm. I can take up space. In this body I'm still worthy. In this body I can wear things that feel good on this body. I can mm-hmm. I can do those things. I don't care if you like it. I like it. Yeah. And so I am intentional about sharing that message over and over and over again with my daughter. Um, yeah. And she thinks she is the most beautiful thing. She thinks I am the most beautiful thing. She has no problem celebrating other black women because that is just what she has grown up with. That is our, that's the bare minimum for us.
0: And that's where it starts. Like we, when we heal ourselves, we make it possible. We lessen the healing that the women to follow have to have to yes. do.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's just
0: yeah. yeah. That's because we inherit more than curses. You know, we talk we, a lot. We about in, we
1: inherit both. You know, yeah. um, and I I I like to talk about intergenerational wounds and intergenerational mm-hmm. trauma um, to really name it. But we also have intergenerational resilience, and yeah. we have ways of healing and taking care of ourselves too and so we have to we have to have the balance of both Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: right like um i am here because of my mother and the sacrifices that she made Mm -hmm. i am here because my mother made a way for me to be here in spite of all of what she had to live through and my grandmother and my great-grandmother right so we have to i think it's really important that we Mm -hmm. honor the both and of those things right and in the same way that like I was having a conversation with my mom earlier this week and she said something and um something about she sort of made like an offhand comment about something that had happened when she was younger or I guess when I was little I just blah 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 blah, and I said mama that's trauma Uh and she was like well maybe I I don't know and I said "Mm -mm." I I said I can name it for you that wasn't acceptable you shouldn't have had to deal with that and that's called a trauma She was like, well, okay. If you say so, then I guess so. Yeah. 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 And it was like, I could hear the wheels turning, right? Yeah. So in my role, I had the ability to be able to shake the generation in front of me, but I could also heal the generation behind me because in 76 years, you know, no one has been, and I have been relentless about this lately with her. No one has like ever given permission for her pain to be named. Right. Yeah. Or for her experiences to be named, um, we were talking recently about um, when she got her period for the first time. So nine-year-old, black girl, southern Louisiana, didn't know anything about periods. Like nobody had ever told her. She was clueless, right? And like shortly before, I don't know if it was like a couple days or a week, but shortly before she got her period, she had had her first kiss with a boy. And when she got her period, she assumed she was being punished. She was like, I shouldn't have let him kiss me. That was wrong. I'm nasty. And now look at this. This is my punishment. And so she had her first menstrual cycle and didn't tell anybody for days because of so much shame. Mm -hmm. And I got to name that. Mama, that's trauma. Yeah. That shouldn't have been your story. Mm -hmm. I'm so sad that happened to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So I get to be a space for her to... Re-envision herself and reconsider what she's been through mm-hmm. that she never had a space to name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, you know, she's like for years later. I remember just being like, I didn't want to boys to touch me or do anything like that because even when I knew better, I still felt right
0: that, that shame. Feeling. Yeah.
1: So that's why I was talking earlier about how our messages around shame are about what we say, but they're also about what we see and and know, right? So that nobody talked to her about it no one told her about her body mm-hmm. in the silence we all have to make meaning of what's happening to us and if you have only heard that interactions with a boy or having any sort of romantic or or, or crush mm-hmm. type of feelings or anything like that with your body is bad or wrong then of course it's your fault right that makes yeah. perfect sense
0: and so I we love- have so much unpacking to do wow like, I mean, I love that you mentioned connecting with your mom and naming her pain and her experience, because I don't think we talk about that enough. You know, we talk yeah. a lot about healing ourselves and, and, and younger women, but there are a lot of other women who are still suffering and still Mm -hmm. directly impacted because no one ever gave them permission to revisit these experiences they've had and just invalidate Mm. their feelings and say you know what this wasn't your fault Mm. No. no
1: i you know i so i will be honest in saying that my therapist helped me figure that part out like i i was talking to her about like you know Ever since I've had my daughter, my relationship with my mother has changed, right? Um, and I see this happening and I see that happening, and so bringing that into therapy and really starting to think through it, my therapist mm-hmm. sort of saying, you know, we we're talking a lot about your own self compassion, mm-hmm. but you can also demonstrate compassion to your mother, right? Like that's that yeah. demonstration is healing. Mm -hmm. And, how you know, get get curious about her and what, you know, like she, she's not the way she is just because, you know, the points of pain that you have in your relationship or the disconnect that you have aren't just because like there's a story there. Um, And there's, you know, it's not like my mother and I weren't close and like I hadn't asked questions, but something about that ability to heal generationally forward and generationally back. Like once I got that information, I was like, oh, okay, now I understand my role in a very different way. Because I will be honest, and I, I and this would show up in my work with my clients too, and thinking about not necessarily sort of vilifying our mothers, but not seeing the whole picture, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of folks in our generation, Gen Gen, I'm um, Gen X, yeah, and I would even probably say older millennials who have we've inherited a lot of pain from yeah. our Parents and from our mothers, we have mother wounds, mm-hmm. and we have to own that and acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I started to be able to say, "Wait a minute!" But she's a whole woman who has lived in this country in this context with all the other shit that we. I'm sorry, I don't even know if I can. Oh, curse. yeah, on yeah,
0: yeah, yeah <laughs> <Okay>. you can. <laughs> this is a girl's oh, <laughs> the podcast. Girl's
1: good. Okay. All the other shit, but with yeah. far less resources, like <laughs> mental health therapy. Even like yeah. FMLA, like just benefits, like just basic things. Self-care. The, what? Like none of that yeah. was anywhere on the table for women that are baby boomers or older, yeah. right? And so, and black women in particular, yeah. what there was no space for you, yeah. for any of that. You just Push on. Yeah. You just show up as strong and you just
0: get it done. No space, so no I protection, was like, Wait a minute. none of that. None, none, n- yeah, none, none of that. I mean, <laughs> I remember that like in the eighties, when you had a situation, if you had a domestic violence situation with your husband, cause it was, I, I know I saw this, you know, uh, the police would come and they would say, Oh, well, this is your husband. You go take a walk. Tell him to go take a walk because this is your husband. That's you it. know, there was no protection, uh, particularly of black women, during that That's time. It. So you were literally your family, In a lot of instances, people didn't get involved in what was happening in other people's households. That's your it household, is. and you certainly exactly. didn't go tell other people about what was happening in your household. So no. you grew up. I know, I grew up saying, "You're on as a black woman, you're on your own.
1: You better figure it out." I, I remember I had a major heartbreak one time. And my mom was like, baby, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, she literally was like, I don't. <laughs> and, like, she hey, was like, Guys, it's part move of on. Life. Like, you know, she was like, I'm not trying to be harsh, but he don't want you. Move yeah. on, right? It yeah. wasn't. It was, that was it. That really And and I took it for what it was at the time. Like, she's not saying she didn't want to be here for me. What she's saying is, I have no well from which to draw for, I don't have any l- angle or yeah. lens on this. To give you support in, yeah. I love you. I'm sorry yeah. you're in pain, but that's all I got, I got. right? Because that sort of stuff is a luxury. And even um, she, you know, she'll say, mm-hmm. talking so talking about that shame piece, right? So like, mm-hmm. it's it's even with me being a sex positive, and I'm a sex self confidence coach, and I believe in all of that, and I want us to get all mm-hmm. the goodies and be living our best sexual lives that sort of external lens on like, am I going to be respected? Are people going to take me seriously? Yeah. Am I going to be disrespected by men because I'm talking about this openly?
0: Yeah. Are
1: women going to like think less of me? Like that stuff is still here. I had to actively yeah. um, like remind myself, right? Like that's that's not me. That's not my values. I'm not listening to that. And so when my mom will say things like, Oh, I saw this article and they were talking about something, something, something with women. And I thought you might want to use that with your clients. Like, it's so joyful for me that she's like, you know, that she knows. And my daughter, she doesn't know. She doesn't get the like sex part, but she gets Mm -hmm. like, you talk to black women about centering their joy and pleasure and things that make (laughs) them feel good. And so we got a whole little multi-generational healing circle happening here. And I continue to do it because I can see how it benefits all of us, right? We're all rising and evolving and healing together. And it's yeah. made our relationships um, across generations just so much better. We're we're both we're all like more empowered in ourselves. And so I think that's really, really important work that needs to be done.
0: It is. It's it's essential and I love the connection there. Because sometimes we just try to move on and we leave others behind. Yeah, yeah. we don't have to do that. Yeah, we no. don't have to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, community is so important. Um, like you know, uh, we got a lot of differences in in the black community, right? Mm-hmm. And we got we got a lot of stuff we deal with, but we always know. We want people, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> come down to it. <laughs> exactly. At yeah. the end of the day,
1: we know it's us yeah. and there's them. We, yep. will, you know, that part gets really, yeah. really, really, clear. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, how do we? Well, how do we leverage yeah. that? Then, if that's the case, let it be mm-hmm. for our best good. Like, yeah. let it be for our own upliftment. Let it be for mm-hmm. our own betterment. Um, and we can be proactive in making
0: that happen. Yeah, we absolutely can. By having like these honest conversations and challenging the things that we've held near and dear for so long, um, like those social constructs and and religious implications. And one of the things I've been going back and forth, and I think I might move forward with doing this. I've been wanting to have just a round table discussion about the impacts of religion on black women, because it just touches every, I mean, it's, even I wouldn't even consider myself a religious person, especially not as an adult um but there are still so many things that I think about because of what I was taught as a child mm-hmm. as it pertains to how God would perceive me and being in this way or living in this way or even feeling this way. It's like, ooh, is there a place for like physical pleasure, you know, especially sexuality when we talk about being. Yeah. Someone who God would shine favor on, like, can those things coexist? You know, all of those different struggles, and and yeah. nobody loves Jesus like Black folks do. Amen. <laughs> ah! oh my God! No, nobody loves nobody. Jesus like Black folks. <laughs> nobody.
1: we? Yes, it's and so here is the thing. This is uh, this is what I always say. One, I always. Out myself, like I don't identify as Christian. Yeah. I do identify as a person who fully understands there is a higher power um, that I call on on a regular basis that centers my sense of um, self, my morality, yeah. my understanding of the world. But the 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 religion, the dogma of Christianity, never, even when I was a kid, never sat well on me. Right? Like I mm-hmm. always had questions and always challenged, and then the um the observations I had as a young person about what was being said about Jesus and how to treat people and how I saw people treating each other in the church oh. I was like well you, huh. w- is that what Jesus ain't nobody in here doing the things y'all say we're supposed to be doing Cause I hear y'all backstabbing and talking about and pulling down. Y'all get in this church parking lot after service every Sunday and talk about everybody in this parking <laughs> lot. And then when they come up to you, they see you smile and hug and all this sort of stuff. But I didn't hear the shit you said, right? So the hypocrisy of that always
0: mm-hmm.
1: stood out to me, right? Mm-hmm. And then even about, like, like it wasn't for me growing up, it wasn't about sex or sexuality to begin with. But one of the things that I could never wrap my brain around was like, we're understanding God from our perspective, but there's different people all around the world. Yes. And the only way to salvation, the only way to life after death is if everybody has to know this way of seeing God. That don't make no sense to me. I was like, what about places where people don't even read books or have never heard of Jesus? Like they don't get like... These were the questions I was asking as a child that would get me in trouble. And so it wasn't that much of a, I think a leap for me to be able to say, well, access to my body and what feels good feels like that shouldn't be anybody else's business. I don't see how the church has anything to do with this. Uh, So I think that like sort of way of seeing the world allowed me to have like a side step where I, I didn't have to have a lot of the stuff internalized. And so what I want to say um, shows up both ways in my practice um, or just in my experience with women around this work is one, sometimes the messages are very direct, right? You're supposed to save, your, save, uh, save yourself from marriage yeah. um, and this whole idea around soul ties and you're opening yourself up. I know there's a lot of explicit messaging around that. But there's also like you're, you're um, alluding to is there's a lot of indirect messages. So it might not be Jesus said, but the message has come through someone else that's informed by the religion. Okay. Um, and I think the I don't know that any of us can grow up without having heard or being sort of um, judged under that part of the religious umbrella. Um and it takes, it takes intentional um, self-reflection to, to sort of have that conversation. And so what I always tell folks is, what's in alignment with your values? Like when you get quiet and still, does it feel like you are wrong? Or does it feel like you have been told your desires are wrong? And if, if we can look at the difference between those two things, then let's think about what might be the benefit to broader systems and individual people for you to feel ashamed about your body and how that might not actually be your benefit and what you want to do different. Because when we talk about being sex positive, we're talking about um, you being able to show up as your authentic sexual self, period. Period. For some people, that's going to be. Actually, my values are that I want to be in sexual relationship with one man or one person because that's a value for me. For other people, it could be, I don't need to be all the way out there, but I want to dibble and dabble a little bit before I decide. And for other people, it may be, I like a wide variety of partners and I like to do a wide variety of things. We have to Mm -hmm. make space for everybody. Yeah. And my whole thing is, it has to just be authentic. If it is coming from who you are and what feels affirming and good for you, and you are doing it in consensual ways, you're doing it in ways that bring intimacy and connection and joy, then you write the script. Yeah. Silence all those other voices. You write the script for yourself.
0: Yeah. And that's why, you know, it's... I had somebody ask me once... um, they listened to an episode where we talked about just you know sex, sex positivity, and, and the person said, "Well, why are we why are we all talking about therapy and everything?" And I thought y'all were going to talk about you know getting freaky, getting it down, and all this, you know, how to throw it back. And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> you can't skip to that. That's the problem. We skip to that before we deal so with." So then all we throwing it back.
1: <laughs> yes. exactly. We throwing it back, and then feeling shame about it. Then hmm. feeling like we're not worthy. Yeah. Then feeling up um, disappointed in ourselves.
0: All the things. Or you're throwing it back All and you're even things. enjoying it. Like it's, you know, it's because again, you're you're feeling the shame. You haven't taken the time to understand what you want. You haven't taken the time to understand your body. You haven't taken the yeah. time to learn how to communicate with your partner. So it's like we can't jump to talking about sex positions before we start talking about like where your where your mind is, where your heart is. All
1: of those things. So, uh, Charlene, unfortunately, I have a hard stop. I know I personally could have gone another hour, but I was like, I gotta go. Oh, no, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I
0: definitely. You would like welcome. You're welcome. So, thank you so much.
1: Yes, please keep me keep me in touch. I'm happy to come back again and have a part two yes. or look at another part because we can't have enough conversation about this stuff at yes. all.
0: So, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>